having good people around you to lean on, whether they're advisors, mentors, employees, consultants, and it's always has to be a win-win when you're partnering with somebody. If somebody feels slighted, it's going to break eventually. You've got to come to it where everybody is meeting each other in the middle and finding a place that, okay, it's a little beyond what I was thinking, or it's a little less than I was thinking. And that's when it's going to work. You got to find that happy place where everybody feels that it's something that they're motivated and empowered to build together. Marcy Zeroff is the founder of Eco Fashion Corp and a serial entrepreneurista who combines her passion for sustainability, fashion, and business to create cutting edge fashion brands that have changed the landscape of sustainable fashion. One of her latest ventures, Seed to Style, was QVC's first size inclusive sustainable fashion brand. Tune in to hear how Marcy has positioned herself as a thought leader in sustainable fashion and continues to transform the fashion industry one brand at a time. Coming up, how Marcy went from Wall Street to founding her own health institute, IIN. Marcy shares how she made decisions to exit her businesses. Why just showing up can change your business And finally, the importance of sharing core values with your C-suite. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Marcy, I am so thrilled to finally sit down and have this conversation with you. This has been a long time coming. I have followed you over the past few years and seen all of these incredible ventures and businesses that you've been starting. And I cannot wait to dig in and learn all about how you've done it, how you're doing it. So thank you so (laughs) much for for being here. I can't wait to hear everything. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's a little be careful what you wish for, but (laughs) happy to be here. Well, let's go way back to your childhood. No, the early days. <laughs> Tell me, did you always know if that you wanted to start your own business one day? You know, it's very ironic, actually, because I am currently in the place I grew up in. And I don't live here. I just am down here visiting my family. So I was the kid with the lemonade stand. You know, I was the kid that had business cards when I was 12 years old. I had a calligraphy business. So I think I was innately, clearly born as an entrepreneur. I've always had that tenacity and that persistence and be careful because then when you have kids and they throw it back at you like, mom, you know, please, please, no. And I always said to my daughter, never take no as an answer, right? Just yep. keep going. I know. So- I'm, I'm, already in, I'm already in trouble. Yes. I already see it happening with my three and a half year old. So yeah, my, mom, my mom just laughs, right? But, you know, yes, I always kind of, it was in my blood, but I did, I actually went to college to be a computer science major. And this is back in the, not to age myself, but this is back in the mid eighties when the computer world was just starting. And it was in working in the early stages of that industry. And I was going to school at UC Berkeley in California and Haas business school just, you know, kind of sung to me and I, I applied and, and 
it just made sense. So, but I always, again, was doing things on the side, even while I was going to school, I was getting a finance. I ultimately got a finance and marketing degree, but I was also working on wall street. So, you know, when people always ask me like, what's that thing that we don't know about you? You know, I lived at this crazy intersection of, you know, worlds where I was vegetarian. My, the book living in the light was my source of inspiration, which I read very young. I was very conscious and studying about the environment and human health and wellness mm-hmm. at a very early age. I was doing yoga in my late teens. And so, you know, but I was also a mainstream girl that wanted, you know, good food and good fashion. And, you know, I got best dressed in high school. And and it, I had this epiphany that these worlds are not mutually, they're not mutually exclusive. You can have both. And that really has become my life work. Tell me what happened after college. So you go to school for computer science, but you have all of these other interests Tell me what happened next. Yeah. So, okay. So I graduated from Berkeley and I moved to New York. And in 1990, I co-founded a school that many people know because it's the world's largest holistic health coach program. It's called the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Started out of my apartment and I was just teaching, you know, about the things that I had already taught myself and that I was really into that people were asking me about. And of course, the first few students were, you know, my friends and my sister-in-laws. And soon, you know, other people wanted to join. And I uh, started to build the program and I had a co-founder who was ultimately just sold the company a few years ago for a lot of money. And, you know, we, we were really at the ground floor of the organic and natural food movement back in the day when kind of everybody knew each other. And it just always made sense to me. It was a a world that was still perceived as being very sort of niche and out there and kind of, you know, crunchy, frumpy, you know, granola. But for me, I was like, wait, but it doesn't have to be that way. And mm-hmm. I met the founder of Aveda very young, at a very young age, and when they had like one product. And we just saw eye to eye on everything. So we became fast friends. And we began to collaborate and to connect food and beauty. And I educated at the first Aveda Institute. He and I opened the first Aveda Concept Salon in New York together in the early 90s in my school. And then just continued to co-create. In fact, he wrote the foreword to my book before he passed away, but we can, we can come back mm-hmm. to that. But it was through the connectivity where I, I realized this is a lifestyle. This is a way of life. This is a way of thinking. This is about being mindful in every choice that you make. And, and again, it's about no compromise. And how do I bring that to life and continue to evolve that similar to in Maslow's hierarchy of needs where you start mm-hmm. with food, then you say, what you know, what's the next basic need? It's shelter and clothing. Well, I had an epiphany that there was a missing link in this equation when it came to fashion and fiber and textiles, because once I went down the agricultural rabbit hole and I started to learn about the impacts of cotton, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. How come nobody knows this? And, you know, the deeper I went, the more I was like the health, the environmental and the social ramifications of cotton are insane. And it's a third of the world's textiles. So in 1995, I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion. And people thought I was crazy that, you know, these are two dichotomous worlds. People who are into fashion don't care about, you know, the environment and social justice and people who are more conscious don't care about fashion. And I was like, well, that's not true because I can't be the only one. So how do I bridge the tribe in the boardroom or the tree hugger in the fashionista, right? And 
as I always say, style the world of change and change the world of style. So Mm -hmm. I built the first sustainable fashion and home brand in North America called Under the Canopy that started also out of my house and ultimately started as a mail order catalog while I was raising my two kids who have always been a big source of inspiration for me. They're now, you know, in their mid twenties. And So, you know, through that journey of building under the canopy, I, you know, worked with Horst, the founder of Aveda, on all the Aveda uh, textile products that he was envisioning. So we started doing cosmetic bags and eye masks and headbands and so on. And then I was friends with the CEO or co-CEO of Whole Foods. And he said, can you create a vision and a whole store in store for Whole Foods? We're thinking of doubling the size of our current footprint from 30, 40,000 square foot stores to 80 to 100,000 square foot stores. So I actually wrote the business plan for Whole Foods to move from food into textiles and launched the first ever full category for them and drove that for them for many years successfully under the under the canopy brand. And we then got seen by a lot of other retailers and you know I'll just kind of speed this but I launched with Target, Macy's, Nordstrom, Bed Bath and Beyond, Barney's, I mean high end, low end, master class and it gave me huge insight into where all the challenges and the system you know, disconnects are in our industry. And then through that work, I eventually sold under the canopy, which is still going strong today and moved into consulting, wrote a book called Eco Renaissance, co-creating a stylish, sexy and sustainable world, produced a documentary film series called Driving Fashion Forward with Amber Valletta. And then fast forward, I launched a plant-based seafood brand with my husband called Good Catch as a part of our consulting agency called Beyond Brands. And then once we exited Good Catch, I was the CMO and a co-founder. That's when I said, wow, the fashion textile industry are finally waking up to something I've been screaming for so long. And I started Eco Fashion Corp to really serve the industry, meet brands and retailers where they are, as well as consumers, and take them on this journey of yes and. Yes, you can have style, quality, fit, color, comfort, hand, price, and oh, by the way, also be organic, recycled, regenerative, circular, you know, fair trade, all the yummy social and environmental accountability that really has been at the core of my life work. Well, Marcy, it is so incredible all that you have accomplished over the years. I have so many questions for you now, (laughs) and I am sure our listeners are wondering, do you sleep? When do you sleep? (laughs) Sleep is overrated. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I go through waves for sure. You know, there are moments where I wish I could get more sleep. But, you know, for some reason, I think it's the passion in me that really fuels me. Um, One of my favorite quotes is, work is love made visible from a book called The Prophet. Because when you love your work, it's not work, it's love. And I'm just out there every day. I can't wait to wake up. I can't, you know, I don't want to go to bed because, you know, for better or worse, you know, I am wired as a, as a true entrepreneur. And, and I, I love what I do. And I'm feel grateful that I found this path. I hear you. I just wrote that down. As you said, that work is love made visible because that's how I feel every day with Entrepreneurista and building this community and helping all these women and working around the clock because I just love it so much. I like literally can't stop. It's a, you call it Entrepreneurista addiction, but in a good way, because when you're doing something that you love and you're passionate about, It doesn't necessarily feel like work. It is because you're working and you're, you know, building a 
income by by doing something and that's great. But like when you love it, like there's nothing better. And I know so many of our entrepreneurs can relate to that because a lot of us have started these businesses based on a pain point or based on something that we're so passionate about. So I have some questions for you, Marcy, about deciding when you were ready to exit some of these businesses, because the journey that you just shared with me is absolutely incredible. And that spans over, what is that, like a 20, 30-year period of all of the things that you... 33. And something that I hear a lot from our, our community and entrepreneurs who I connect with, they're like, Stephanie, how do you do all of these things? Because I'm involved in obviously multiple different businesses. And as you know, focus, when you're focused on you know one business, it's hard enough and doing multiple things at the same time, it can be very challenging and absolutely can be done. And I, and I always share, you just have to have certain people responsible for certain things and delegate and and execute that way. But I want to go back to, you know, when you shared, you were initially one of the co-founders of IAN, which is incredible. I know the organization very well and actually had a few years ago on the podcast or in the early days of the podcast, their new CEO came on the Entrepreneurista podcast. Yes. We actually are collaborating now, which is like, I pinch myself. She, you know, because she and I go out to lunch and I did, we did a a yes and collaboration during COVID. Um, I did a webinar with her and we did a whole thing. So it's a fun full circle for me. I know. And I'm sure you obviously know that Jim Curtis, he was a close entrepreneur friend of ours. So we love IAN and and the mission. And I remember when we first connected a few years ago, I was so excited to hear. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know you were the original co-founder. That is so amazing. But I want to understand, you know, when did you know it was time to leave or exit that business? Because I think as entrepreneurs, when you're building something, it's, you know, your baby and it feels like, you know, to either give something up or to let it go or to move on from something and then decide what path to go down next. Just those feelings and those emotions can be really hard. I would love to understand just how did you make some of those decisions and with IAN, with other businesses that you've then gone on to build and execute? Did you always know you were planning to build certain businesses to sell and what you wanted to do next? Would love if you could share your experience and then maybe advice you have for other entrepreneurs based on what you've gone through. Yeah. So a bunch of questions. So I was like, I started like (laughs) writing, so I don't forget. Okay. So first of all, another quote, journey of a thousand miles, right? Begins with one step. And it's, I will say one thing as an entrepreneur, when I was young, I used to think, oh, you set a vision, right? Vision is the art of seeing things invisible. That's a Jonathan Swift quote, right? It's about setting that vision. Well, one thing I've learned is It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And you've got to enjoy that journey. And I've learned that the secret weapon of a good entrepreneur is knowing when to pivot. Because I feel like I've been a walking cliche for most of my career. Like what doesn't kill you makes you smarter and stronger and better and clearer. You know, one door closes, another one opens, right? It's this element of you learn and you you grow. And that's the fun of being an entrepreneur is, is that whole experience, right? And look, I've always said, I feel like a little kid in the candy store that I get to do what I love, make a living and change the world. And that's the path I chose and how I do that has shifted and changed and, you know, morphed. I like, you know, what they say, getting on a roller coaster, you know, when you're going to be an entrepreneur, put your seatbelt on, throw your hands up and enjoy the ride because you're going to go upside down. You're going to twist and you're going to turn. It's never a straight line up, right? 
you've got to get comfortable with that. And so in answer to the first question, I think, which was, you know, how do you know? You got to trust your gut. I think that's part of being a good entrepreneur is getting not to say that you shouldn't be in your head and process things, but a lot of the answers really come from a much deeper place. And, you know, people are scared and they get paralyzed by that. Right. And they want someone to tell them what to do. But when you're really driving that vision, you have to be, you know, comfortable and you have to be confident in where you ultimately are trying to get to. And again, you know, being willing to to turn because we're just made of energy, right? As is everything around us, everything in, on, and around us. And energy wants to flow. So when you hit a wall as energy, if, if you can't figure out how to get around it, you're going to get stuck. And I always say, don't get stuck in the muck, right? Understand that flow is the key that unlocks manifestation and potential. Because it allows for you to just trust that everything happens the way it's supposed to. And don't see all the what you think are challenges as roadblocks. See them as opportunities to get clearer and stronger and pivot, right? And when you start to change that thinking, you can get farther and faster. So going back to IIN, it was just, you know, a perfect moment in time in that I had, you talked about giving birth. Well, yes, every time you have a a business, you give birth. Well, in parallel with my exit or soon after, within a few years of my exit from IIN, it was because I had given birth. And when we started the school for the first oh gosh, you know, that first decade, the school was really, it grew. It started in my apartment and then we were renting spaces Then we had our own space. And then we were renting, you know, ultimately it was like at Lincoln Center, right? And then it went online. So in those first decade, for me, having a baby and then I had another baby and being, you know, being in a place that I was, you know, running as the CEO every day, the business, it was very, very demanding. And Joshua said to me, look, you're already starting this eco fashion thing because clients of mine, actually, this is kind of a funny story, which so in the mid 90s, I got a call. I was doing consulting through the school in addition to the program and, you know, some of the other pieces. And I got a call from someone who said, hi, I work for somebody who has been trying to get pregnant for six years and hasn't been able to. Are you able to help somebody said if she changes her diet and lifestyle, that could help her because she's really desperate. And I said, well, sure, let's make an appointment. Well, it turned out to be a member of the Saudi Arabian royal family, one of the princesses. And, you know, I mean, her her father-in-law is currently the king of Saudi Arabia. So you're talking very high up level. So she and I met and I started working with her very closely. Fast forward, she got pregnant. Fast forward, suddenly I was working with her sisters and her cousins and helping with acne and helping with overweight and helping with other conditions. And and suddenly I found myself like with, you know, hanging out with all of them when they would come to New York going shopping. And it was through that process that they were like, we were, I had already turned them all on into, you know, Aveda and natural and organic beauty as well as food. And suddenly they're like, well, what about fashion? I'm like, well, I'm already studying that piece of the business, like that world in terms of like agriculture and the potential and what I could do to create this. And they said, we'll support you. We'll buy anything you make. Well, so that was a launching pad for me to move into this. So Joshua knew that I was already doing that and I was kind of doing it on the side and I was doing it from home. 
And he said, you know what, Marcy, why don't we come up with a way that I can buy you out and you can move on to the next chapter? And it was very organic, really. And it just made sense at where I was in my life. And I cheered him on and still cheer on the school. It makes me so proud, the proliferation of IIN health coaches that I'm, and now that I live in New York, I, I meet all the time. My daughter's going through the program right now, which is kind of wild. So it became that. It was a different kind of exit for Under the Canopy. Under the Canopy was a bittersweet exit. I had built the business very successfully from a startup. You know, I was really ahead of my time with sustainable fashion and we were really, you know, we were selling in a lot of retailers and and I had great relationships in the market and I was doing public speaking and things were good, but I raised a lot of money. And so one of the learnings I've had in my career really has been, you know, when you're raising money from investors, it's a mutual exchange. It's a dating thing that you've got to be looking at who they are as much as they're looking at who you are. And I think in that, having raised money for the first time, really, because Joshua and I had self-funded IIN and, you know, raising money for the first time was, you know, for me, it was uh, an eye-opening experience. And I, I had an angel that, turned out, I hate to say it, to be somewhat of a devil, a little bit of a me too scenario, lined the board with everybody he knew. So even though behind the scenes, they all were very uncomfortable when he would pinch my ass in a board meeting, they, you know, no one said anything because it was, this is a lot of years ago. This is, he would follow me around the world on, on sourcing trips. I mean, it was a, just a very untenable situation for me. So I frankly opted to exit and have be bought out because I was, it was just not what I signed up for, frankly. And it's, I started to, you know, there were dynamics that started to happen with some sort of a, div- a divisive culture because I brought in a consultant that he then made more powerful than I wanted to because he became chairman of my board when he funded the company in the first round. And then he, you know, we raised a lot of money together, but it was all people he knew. So it, it was a tricky situation for me because I guess for lack of a better way, I lost control of my own company and decisions, you know, like I would hit heads with this woman because she didn't get what I was doing and she didn't get me. And at the end of the day, we would have these conversations and she'd be like, I don't get it. She was like, devil wears Prada. And I was like, "Mm, exactly. Thank you for for sharing that. And sorry, obviously went through that experience, but it's obviously so helpful to be able to share that experience. So founders that are thinking about raising or currently raising capital can learn from what you've been through. Any advice you can share based on that experience, what you would do differently yeah. this time, what you've done differently? Are you raising for the, your you know, companies that you're involved in right now? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, karma's a bitch, right? Ultimately, when I left under the canopy, they lost their way, right? And it was one of these like, oh, you know, like you just, you know, be careful what you create, right? So At the end of the day, I was brought back into Under the Canopy years later as a consultant for the company that bought it, who still owns it today. There's two companies that bought it. And so for four years, I I got it going again. And it was really very redeeming for me and an exciting opportunity to have kind of a part two. 
I then started another company called Good Catch, which I exited in 2019. And that was a great exit. It was also an inside deal where the co-founders bought my husband and I out in the Series B round, which was they raised the money, they put in the money, they raised the money, and my husband was the CEO, I was the CMO. So we were able to build the company and they were able to finance and build the investor base. And at Series B, we got a great exit because we were kind of riding in the wake of, of uh, Beyond Meat. So it was a really good time to be in the plant-based, be a pioneer of plant-based protein. And we were the first plant-based seafood brand. So going back to your question of my raising. So I am now in my grand finale, my last chapter. So I say, haha, as an entrepreneur, <laughs> um, but, building, but building off of all these other businesses. And my current business is called Eco Fashion Corp. We are a greenhouse of brands and we have a B2B side of the business. And then we have a consumer uh, facing retail platform. The whole business is actually one ecosystem. It's one platform. We have the manufacturing platform that is tech enabled. It has blockchain technology to a QR code, full supply chain traceability from farm to finished product. We do private label bespoke manufacturing for some of the biggest brands and retailers in North America. And from high-end fashion brands to you know brands like Diane Gilman on HSN to baby brands like Pink Chick to food brands like Mercola, to major, major retailers. And then we launched two brands for QVC during the pandemic. I was going on air regularly, one brand called Seed to Style, one brand called Farm to Home. And now those brands are going to other retailers, including Costco, and they've, they're now online with Kohl's.com and um, others. We have a D2C brand, which is in partnership with celebrity photographer Nigel Barker. And that brand is called Yes And, which again, sums up my life work of no compromise. You can have it all value values. And now we're going out for a Series A fundraise, which is, you know, <laughs> my least favorite part of running a business and building a business as the CEO is raising capital, but it's a necessary evil. We need the fuel in the tank because the engines are revving and we are ready to take off. Up next, learn the secrets to how Marcy was able to enter major retailers and QVC. Marcy, you just mentioned partnering with Nigel Barker, which is incredible. So congratulations on that. I would love to hear the story behind how did that partnership come to be and any advice you can share with entrepreneurs who are thinking about partnering either with a big influencer or celebrity, just learning lessons from that process. Yeah, well, ironically or synchronistically, which I love, Courtney was actually there when Nigel and I met. So this summer in July, Nigel and I were both speakers, as was Courtney, at an event called Fashionovation in Miami. And this is really the you know intersection of the fashion industry and all the great innovation and technology that is now changing the game and really propelling the movement, which is you know a whole side conversation because. I'm getting, I'm speaking now at technology conferences, like who would have mm. thought, you know, because fashion is such a huge industry that needs an overhaul, right? It needs a reboot. And a lot of these new technologies are actually being built to address, you know, waste and water use and energy use and chemical use and, and, you know, things that are ultimately hanging their hat on sustainability. So anyway, so, you know, here is Nigel Barker, one of the top fashion photographers in the world, judge of America's Next Top Model, 
major fashion guy. And here I am where I, you know, at the core level of who we both are. I love fashion and he is a very hung my hat and spent my life driving fashion forward from the standpoint of sustainability and social accountability. And we were talking about different things, but at the end of the day, very, very authentic and very, very selfless, very kind hearted and service driven person. It's just who he is. And we, we were like chatting a bit and there was this immediate chemistry around that sort of shared core values. So we ended up going out for lunch, late lunch, which turned into dinner. And we like talked for hours and hours and hours about, you know, kind of what it would look like to bring our worlds together and for him to lean in. And and given that, you know, Eco Fashion Corp is such a young company right now, and we're just starting our series A, but you know, it was the ground floor. So there's still a blank canvas there to shape. So he said, I can be your creative director. And I was like, oh my God, that would be like a dream come true. And next thing I know, we're going back and forth on shaping what that would look like and made it happen. And by the end of October, he was, you know, producing and creating and directing our first yes and photo shoot with the collection I'm actually wearing, which is, you know, an organic sweater knit collection. And if you go to yesand.style, you can see how it came to life with Nigel's photography. And it was just such an, and we, and we did it at Spring Studios, which, you know, they collaborated with us as well. And Adorama did a whole video series that it's on my LinkedIn at Marcy Zaroff that you can watch all the episodes that they filmed of the photo shoot. I mean, it was like this crazy whirlwind. And fast forward, now he's brought on Kelly Catrone as our publicist. And he's got, you know, this amazing design and development guy named Jason and a makeup person and a styling person and social media. I mean, he's like curating this dream team. So he also, because he's creative director over all B2B private label sites of Eco Fashion Corp, we're also working on a deal with Museum 21C which is a hotel chain and, you know, other projects on more of them. So he's an amazing person. And I would just say going with him to events like Fashion for Development or Girl Up or some of these nonprofits that he's a spokesperson for has really, you know, given me an inside look into who he is as a person. And his. I've met his family so many times now, and it's just such a good fit on every level. That's so incredible. And I think there's just so many learning lessons to unpack there. You showed up at that event. Yeah. You were there. Show up. Don't be shy. Look, part of the fun of being an entrepreneur, I mean, and part of why I love doing what I do is I'm learning new things every day. It's a, it's never a dull moment, right? Like it's never the same, you know, thing. It's like, so this whole journey is really when something speaks to you, go with it, explore it, Mm -hmm. try it on. If it doesn't fit, take it off, but try it on, right? Be willing to try new things. And I think, yes, there are some celebrities and and high profile people. I mean, my whole career, because I'm in fashion and food and I've danced with, you know, and worked with and collaborated with celebrities throughout my career. But, you know, some are just in it for the like image or the money or the, you know, but for me, at this stage, especially, you know, the, mm-hmm. the older I've gotten, the more clear I've gotten, the more I've learned, like, if you don't share core values with someone and you aren't aligned, not just professionally, but personally, it's just like a marriage, anything. I mean, mm-hmm. investors, it's like a marriage, any kind of partner, collaborator, influencer that's going to latch on ambassador. You want to make sure that their voice represents who you are. 
because ultimately that's why you're partnering with them, you know, and you want that sort of, you know, what I always say, one plus one equals 11, right? Mm -hmm. Because co-creation is about being stronger together than apart. And so that's where Nigel and I was like, wow, you know, it goes back to that original vision I told you of styling change and changing style. We could, we could do both together in a much more effective way than apart. So yeah, I mean, you know, really get to know those who you're going to join forces with. Had you ever negotiated a deal or a contract like you did with Nigel with any of your previous businesses? Or is that a new process to learn when figuring out how to set up the structure? So every single partnership has its own nuances. So yeah, have I done, you know, partnerships? Absolutely. And each time I get clearer about, oops, I forgot to ask that, or I forgot to, you know, I didn't know that, or I didn't think to, you know, do that. So you, you get, you refine that process along your career and, and, or one of the other big pieces of advice I was given and always try to give to others is make sure you always surround yourself with good people right? Because that can be make or break the difference in how far you get and if you get there at all, right? Because there's only so much you can do. And you touched on this for a moment is learning how to delegate, right? Like I think in the early stages of my career, I just, I wanted to do everything because I thought nobody could do it as good as I could do it. Nobody really got it. It would take just as much time for me to teach someone else than to just do it myself. So I ended up like, doing like way too, like way too much of things that weren't a good use of my time having, because having said I do too much, I still do too much, but at least the way I I work now is smarter and more strategically. I know what I should be working on and what I shouldn't be working on. And that doesn't mean I don't lean in when there's another set of hands needed. I have no problem packing a box, dropping something off to a customer, you know, but is it where I really should be spending my time? Of course not. You know, I need to be out there driving the business development, the the finance operations, marketing, innovation, leadership, you know, because I have the deep vision, guidance, you know, and being the spokesperson for the brand and raising money and making sure we've got all the pieces connected, most and biggest and highest look in the whole company. So I now I know how all the wheels are turning together. And that's really important. You don't need to be the one that's physically turning each one. Right. So I think having good people around you to lean on, whether they're advisors, mentors, employees, consultants, make sure that you don't, that's a place that, you know, you've got to make sure that you surround yourself with. And when you don't have the financial resources, because that can be a constraint, right? Get creative. I love to get creative with people. And I did that with Nigel because we're still in early stage of our company. And it was, you know, well, how do we fit together performance with stock options with, you know, some pay and how do we create a very unique package that's a win-win? And it's always has to be a win-win when you're partnering with somebody. If somebody feels slighted, it's going to break eventually. You've got to come to it where everybody is meeting each other in the middle and finding a place that, okay, it's a little beyond what I was thinking, or it's a little less than I was thinking. And that's when it's going to work. You got to find that, that happy place where everybody feels that it's something that they're motivated and empowered to build together. Such great advice. Thank you for sharing that, Marcy. I would love to hear more about 
tips and tricks and processes for getting on QVC, getting into Target, involved in these retailers. We have a lot of our members who are trying to get into retail right now and have started a D2C business and then want to expand. But it can be challenging to get to the right people and figure out how do you set up that pitch deck for these meetings. So learning lessons that you can share because you have successfully, seems like gotten into almost every retailer. (laughs) Well, first of all, and I know because of the entrepreneurs to network is so, you know, valuable. Networking is really fundamental, right? Like if you don't know somebody, get to know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Like and LinkedIn, I mean, I didn't have these tools when I was starting my career. Like, you know, some people take it for granted, like, oh yeah, I'll go on social media and DM someone or I'll, you know, or I'll just go on LinkedIn and I'll be able to search for a buyer of this place. I didn't have that. So it really built my career on networking. And I still, to this day, even with those tools in my toolkit, I go to events. I love to meet new people. And and I'm a Henry Crown Fellow of the Aspen Institute, which I love because, you know, if I don't know, you know, somebody, there is somebody who can introduce me and you want those kind of introductions, right? So I think that is definitely one key. I think the second key is to make sure that, you're offering something that they don't already have. And and I hate to, you know, that's kind of a rude awakening for people sometimes because if you're offering something and they already have five of it, there's a good chance you're going to have a hard time getting in the door unless you're doing something different or something special that you can speak to. Make sure you do your homework. Make sure you do your due diligence. Make sure you know where their price points are, where they're, what they're, what they do and don't have, where there might be a white space, right? Because If you can't solve for something, you probably won't get in. In the case of QVC, right, I was introduced into QVC by reps. A lot of these big retailers have reps and, you know, they they don't have the bandwidth, the buyers to be out there searching for the next big thing, right? Because they have so much on their plate already. So they sometimes have these trusted rep groups that are looking for brands and then they know those rep groups are guiding those brands. So they know that if they sign one up, they're not going to have to then be a teacher about how to be successful in their retail environment, right? That... There are people out there that have mastered these retailers like QVC and Target because they worked there for years and years. Most of the good reps were former buyers or mm-hmm. or executives, right? So, you know, that's the beauty of working with them is they know how to navigate the system and they know how to protect both sides, the retailer and the brand, and they know how to liaison a successful relationship. So with QVC, I had, you know, a couple of these women that were buyers at QVC for years, many, many years, you know, like 15, 20 years, and brought me in and I and put me in front of one of the head division people. And he was in the home division. And he kind of went, Oh my God. And I didn't have any product, by the way. I mean, this is kind of unusual. It was like, you need to meet Marcy. You're going to love what she's doing. You're going to love who she is. And this is before, just as I was thinking about starting Eco Fashion Corp, right? This is the very, very beginning. And I went in and I said, look, I don't have any product, but I have a manufacturing infrastructure I'm building and I can make any kind of product in home. I can make sheets, towels, robes, you know, top of bed, pillows, blankets, throws, whatever you want. And they're going to be guaranteed to you, sustainable and ethically made or get, cause that's what I do. And I mm-hmm. shared with him that I live at this intersection of like the Lee and Fung of sustainability and the Martha Stewart of a sustainable lifestyle. And so he was like, oh my God, 
I want to like get you on air. I want to like, you know, and you can make the product and you can speak about the product because you made the product. And it sort of, again, kind of came to life organically. Having said that, you know, at the core of, of how I got in is I offered something they didn't have. And by doing that, he got very excited. And fast forward, you know, my first launch on QVC was a one hour show. It was not a six minute one product hit. So I was able to tell my whole story and we had a whole huge studio of all different categories of bedding and towels and bath and, and robes. And we had all, you know, I think eight different categories that we launched with. So it was a whole story. And then that led to me creating a second brand for QVC. And that was called Seed to Style. And that's because the apparel buyer saw the success of what I was doing on the home side. So suddenly I was going on air all through COVID regularly with two brands. And then fast forward, my exclusivity ended because I did have, you know, an exclusive period. And now the brands are sort of, you know, going beyond QVC. It's more of that same kind of strategy of, of you know, figuring out sort of where where those holes are. Coming up why your network is your key to success. All right, Marcy, we are going to do a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words or ideas that come to your mind. Are you ready? Let's do it. How would your kids describe you in three words? Love, passionate, hardworking. What is your favorite business tool or solution that you've used to help grow your businesses over the years? I mean, I'm a storyteller. And so even before the days of social media, um, story doing. Instagram or TikTok? Because my age, probably, I would say Instagram. (laughs) But I I know TikTok is probably the right answer. (laughs) There's no right answer. I know. Marcy, do you have a hidden talent? Wish I had more time for it, but I love art. So oil painting, pottery, calligraphy, any kind of, you know, I guess that's why I'm in fashion, right? I'm not surprised to hear you have all of those talents, but definitely really good ones. Ones I wish that I had. All right. Back to our regularly scheduled questions, Marcy. Can you tell me, like, what is a typical day for you? Well, my husband makes me a coffee bomb in the morning, a great loaded coffee. And then um, I typically get up around 5, 5.30. I'm usually doing my email or social media stuff in the morning in my bed just to like get my day going. I am an advocate of self-care. So every morning um, I either steam or walk or in the summer, you know, we do a lot of biking. Um, We do, we love to do long walks, yoga, um, anything to get my body going. And then oftentimes, you know, I'll just take that the morning to just make sure that I really get grounded and then off I go. So throughout the day, I am nonstop. The biggest challenge for me around the, then now the sort of resurgence of life is back post COVID. I kind of joke around with my husband because he's also an entrepreneur. We wish COVID was still here because we, we were actually like home and now those worlds are colliding, right? You've got the Zoom virtual world yeah. and you've got the real world. So my, my days are all the way sometimes until I can't keep my eyes open at night anymore. What are some of the other self-care tips that you practice aside from steaming and the other ones that we should uh, look into or take up ourselves? Body work to me, you know, it's my version of the doctor. 
I am religious about massages and deep massages that like break up my stress and my just wherever my body might ache because we're a mind body, right? So I, I don't look at it as an indulgence. I look at it as a necessity. It definitely is. And thank you for the reminder because I need to schedule a massage. I, uh, it's uh, my theme of the year and word of the year is self-care and need to get those on the calendar because as I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm like, oh, I need it. I need it. I need it. So well, thank you for that. Insane. Yes. yes. And oh we gosh. have a, we have a, like a kind of a, a part-time residence in Costa Rica as, as well. So any opportunity that I can get down to reboot and rejuvenate, it's super important. I love that. Final question for you, Marcy. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? You know, for me, it's about manifesting my true self and not letting, you know, being a woman get in the way ever. In fact, you know, I think women supporting women is just really a lot of, we've got to unlock that even more because it's so fundamental to really changing the world. Frankly, we're the ones who are nurturers. We want to birth, we want to create. And so we need to come together. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Marcy, for sharing your journey, your story. I am so excited to continue to follow all of the things that you are working on right now and be a customer as well. So speaking of which, where can everyone find you, follow you for those that are interested in purchasing products from Yes And? Where should they head over to? Yeah. So yesand.style. And we're going to have a special offer for all the entrepreneurs out there. So when you check out, enter Entrepreneurista 22, because again, there's your 1111. We're stronger together and now exponentially. So enter that code for 22% off anything you you get at Yesand. And then follow us at Yesand. Um, you can also follow me at Marcy Zeroff. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm also MarcyZeroff.com where my book is available on both Yesand and, and Marcy Zeroff. And then follow uh, at Farm to Home, at Seed to Style. And then uh, finally, if you're a business that wants to manufacture sustainable fashion, we offer, uh, you know, all kinds of different programs and influence for influencers as well, all the way up. And that would be at metawareorganic.com. So amazing. Thank you Marcy, so much we, for having me, yeah. So we're going to link out to all of those links in the show notes below. So head over to the show notes, click through, find Marcy everywhere and go try out her product products. Marcy, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurstas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.